Hi, I'm Sean Stanley, head of the Globe Content Studio at the Globe and Mail. I'm also host of a new podcast called Industry Interrupted. We're looking at how traditional business sectors are being disrupted. From law to agriculture to finance, what's forcing change in these industries? And what does it mean for the Canadian economy and you as a consumer? Find the latest episodes of Industry Interrupted on your favourite podcast platform. Welcome to The Risk Takers, a podcast about small business by The Globe and Mail. I'm Sarah Efron, and these are the stories of entrepreneurs who risked everything for their businesses. For many small businesses, geography doesn't matter anymore. An internet-based business can reach customers anywhere on Earth. In today's episode, we're looking at one of those anywheres, a thriving entrepreneurial community on the island of Bali. Entrepreneur Lydia Lee has a morning commute that would make most Canadians pretty jealous. There she roars. (laughs) I'm usually riding through Monkey Forest, which is just right in front of us. So that's my commute to work, is through monkeys. Sometimes they jump at you and try to grab your fruit, but you do need to keep everything inside the ride, (laughs) in your bags. Three years ago, Lydia moved from Vancouver to the town of Ubud on Bali, Indonesia. Upad Bali is the center of the island of Bali, probably made famous by the movie Eat, Pray, Love. (laughs) And that's uh, been bringing a lot of women, expats actually, to this island. But it's really known for a place of transition. Uh, Lots of people who are going through changes in their lifestyles and going through change in general in their life tends to find Ubud as a really kind of comfortable spot to do this sort of transition. It's also really well known for the spiritual part of the community, the yoga, raw food, and just healthy living. And I think that's what's made this little town quite favorable to a lot of expats that want to stay in Bali for a long time. There's still a lot of eating, praying and loving happening in Ubud, but it's increasingly popular with entrepreneurs from Canada and around the world. I really love this co-working space. It's kind of the first place I landed on when I was trying to find a community of expats and people like me remote working in Bali. And it's a great little hub actually to meet people uh, and, and build that sense of community around a foreign place. One of the co-working spaces Lydia uses is called Hubud, a hub in Ubud. Get it? All right, so we're entering into the Hubud space right now. Tons of sandals everywhere. That's all we wear these days is flip-flops, sometimes barefoot. Selamat pagi. <laughs> Hubud provides everything entrepreneurs need. Reliable power, fast internet, and of course, coffee. Uh, satu uh, cappuccino. Living in Bali, especially for the last three years, I haven't missed anything that I think I would have gotten back in Vancouver because most of the things here are quite Western. It's very Westernized shops. You can get your vitamins, you can get all your healthy food. If anything, I would say it's more affordable than living in the city. So how did this entrepreneurial oasis come to be? Hubbard got its start thanks to another Canadian entrepreneur, co-founder and CEO Steve Monroe. Long before setting up shop in Bali, Steve worked for the United Nations. And in 2009, he was offered a job that would put him on track to becoming a country director, something he'd always wanted. During the whole negotiations for me to take this position, I had this thought that crept into my head, which pretty much ended my career, which was I looked around at all the other country directors that I knew personally, and none of them actually had lives that I wanted. You know, divorces were common. The jobs they had, other than for me, the ego of saying I'm a country director, what they actually did for 80% of their jobs didn't inspire any kind of passion in me. And so once that thought crept in, 
you know, it became clear to me that I was on track to hit my target, but I started questioning that, that I was still shooting at the right thing. And from that thought to me handing in my resignation was, was about 45 days. And then when we decided to make that leap to Bali, it was purely one of reckless passion, I guess, to say, let's just throw it all out and try something new. So that's how we ended up in Bali. But why Bali? Part of that was the green school that had just opened here, which is very inspiring for us and our children to be able to send them there. And part of it was, of all the places we had traveled to in the world, and we had traveled very extensively, Bali was the only place we ever came back to, ever. So there was something here. So we moved here in 2009 with our two young kids without any kind of a plan. I wouldn't recommend it. It was a bit stressful at the beginning. I'm sure highly irresponsible. Without a clear vision for what came next, Steve fell back on doing contract work for his former employer, the UN. And without knowing it, or even knowing the term, Steve had become a digital nomad, a new breed of location-independent global worker. But as anyone who's ever worked from home knows, it's not all it's cracked up to be. When I became a consultant and I became able to work at home, Skype in the underwear, all of that fantasy stuff you have when you're doing a 9-to-5 office job, what I found really quickly was I was lonely. You know, I, I hated working at home. I'm not productive. I, I get depressed after a while of, of sitting and, and just being by myself. Eventually, Steve and his wife met with other expats with similar complaints, and together they decided to do something about it. Ubud attracts such an eclectic, random group of people, right? Whether they're from other islands in Indonesia or from other countries around the world. It was, you know, CEOs of massive, very well-known companies. It was artists and creatives. It was filmmakers and creatives like this. It was freelancers, tech entrepreneurs, etc. So, you know, what we got really excited about was the idea of creating a space where all of these random, disparate geniuses could come together. I mean, that was, that was it. But as entrepreneurs love to say, ideas are a dime a dozen. What really counts is execution. Starting Hubud when we did in Bali felt entirely risky. You know, there was no comparable business model for it here. There was maybe one space in the country. You know, we were three families from outside of this country. So there was a lack of local context in that sense. And certainly there was a lot of people that warned us that starting businesses in Indonesia was challenging. If you were going to do it in Indonesia, do it in Jakarta. This is what they said. And if you must do it in Bali, then at least do it in Seminyak because it's more of the business moneyed center. But, you know, for God's sake, don't do it in Ubud because people come here basically to get married or to survive their divorce or do yoga or, or whatever people think of when they think of Ubud. Steve and his team decided to run an experiment to test their idea. So we decided to open a, a prototype kind of pop-up co-working space. We gave ourselves four weeks to do that. We had a $500 budget to create the best co-working space we could. So we jacked up the internet, held nine events, brought all our best beanbag chairs and stuff from our houses. This cheap and cheerful version of the business showed there was, in fact, a market for Steve's concept in Ubud. And we had about 300 people come through in two weeks. So that was the kind of initial thought of the idea, and we ran events for the next six months while we looked for a space and then found a space in November, opened up in March 2013. Hubbard's permanent location is a big open bamboo building with windows looking out onto a lush green rice field. It's an office, but it's a bit of a fantasy office. So yes, it's an office, but it's, it's, it's not your mama's office. But even with the perfect space, the entrepreneurial challenges don't end. One of the biggest challenges we had was very few people had heard of co-working spaces. So you know, there's a lot of customer education that had to go on as to why would I pay to work in a space when I can go to a cafe and get Wi-Fi for free? 
right? And now we had better internet, and at the time that was a huge deal here because fiber wasn't anywhere basically except for here. But that only lasts so long, and so we had to do a lot of work to create an environment that they thought I have to work here if I want to be kind of more productive, more connected, more successful. So that was more challenging than any of the legal stuff or any of the kind of more mundane stuff. So who actually uses this fantasy office at the edge of a monkey forest? Steve quickly realized that Hobart's customers weren't exactly who they had anticipated. Well, before we started, we did a number of customer profiles on different kind of people that we thought would come and would use Hubud. And some of those have come, but we ended up solving a different problem than we really talked about at all. So about three weeks after the opening of Hubud, we had a Swiss programmer walk in with his backpack and his laptop and say, hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm a digital nomad. And I said, you're a what? A digital nomad. People who not only can work from anywhere, but do work from anywhere, basically started flooding into Hubud. So I think what we didn't expect was we'd essentially become a home for this very transient, very nomadic, kind of hyper-globally oriented, amazing, fantastic group of people. People like Tracy Abbott. She was an Ottawa public servant until she discovered Valley and became a digital nomad. I had just gotten out of a long-term relationship and... Also, I just got through the longest, coldest winter in Ottawa in 25 years. And I wanted to create something different for myself. Now, Tracy runs a company called On Purpose Leadership from her laptop. I'm providing leadership coaching, primarily over the phone and over Skype. But this wasn't Tracy's original plan. She first came to Bali during a sabbatical from work for an intensive yoga course. When I first arrived in Bali, I thought I would be here for the duration of the yoga teacher training, which was one month, but things changed. She stayed for five months before going back to Ottawa. And after enduring another Ottawa winter, she made up her mind to start splitting every year between Bali and Canada. So I sold my condo, gave appropriate notice at work and sold some things, put some things in storage and came back. Perhaps unsurprisingly, Lydia Lee's escape to Bali from Vancouver involves a cold winter too, this time while traveling for her all-consuming corporate job. I had a complete meltdown or a breakdown in a Russian hotel room in the dead of winter. I think that was about February 2012. And it was a sort of uh, moment for me, the tipping point of realizing that working, you know, 60 to 80 hours a week for someone else, being on the road and not really feeling satisfied and fulfilled in my career really took its toll on the way I felt about my life. Lydia's company, which is all about helping others escape the corporate grind like she did, is aptly named Screw the Cubicle. I'm also the corporate escape coach for career shifters who want to repurpose their skills into a location-independent career. Lydia helps others adopt the laptops and flip-flops lifestyle. But warm winters aren't the only reason entrepreneurs from around the world are flocking to places like Bali. Startups also benefit from a much lower cost of living. When you start up a business, it's very common to not make any money for the first year. And actually, you're learning new things and you want to give yourself that space, actually, to be learning new things instead of going straight into what's the revenue model, for example, for my startup. We need that space to be creative and build things. If I was back home, whether I would be in Ottawa or I was considering moving to Vancouver, 
the cost of living is much higher. When you start up in a place like Bali, living costs are way less than that. So it's about $1,000 to $1,500 a month. I would say I experimented with that number when I first landed in Bali and absolutely lived comfortably eating out three times a day, having my massages every single week and living in a very affordable villa. I was spending about $989 or something like that a month Canadian, which is pretty inexpensive compared to what I was spending in Vancouver. So what does that mean for me? That means that I can now invest more in myself. I can hire a coach. I can hire an assistant. I can spend more money on my website. It also means that I am building the business slowly in a much more comfortable speed that allows me to make mistakes and be able to bounce back. Take on clients that I actually really want to take on versus just taking them on to pay rent. So essentially it takes the pressure off. And the idea of, for example, making money in US dollars, living on Indonesian rupias, and outsourcing in Filipino pesos, sounds good. <laughs> you know, you get to keep more of your money. And I think ultimately that's what we're reaching for. New strategies of not having to be a millionaire to live a good life. But working in Bali isn't without its challenges. Working in Bali is certainly different from being at home because my network is in Canada and the United States. So, you know, there's a time zone challenge. But beyond that, I'm in a relationship-based business. People need to be able to know me and trust me if I'm going to coach them on, you know, some challenges that they might be having in their leadership journey. There has to be a certain amount of vulnerability that they can have with me. And that's certainly a relationship that's better built in person. So I need to find a way to expand into businesses that exist in Asia or other areas, maybe Australia. So I need to start building a network in countries that I don't have one in right now. And Lydia says working in a place where most people take vacation can have its challenges too. It's very easy to want to just go to the beach or it's very easy to just want to hang out at a cafe and eat and talk. But we will have to learn boundaries and we have to learn kind of self-control and self-responsibility because now we don't have a boss breathing down our neck. For the entrepreneurs we're meeting today, it's clear that the advantages to working in Bali far outweigh the disadvantages, but that doesn't necessarily mean they'll be here forever. The very nature of these businesses means they could stay for years or they could pack up and leave tomorrow. For now, Lydia spends most of her time in Bali while Tracy spends half the year in Canada. Back at Hubbard, the fantasy office, Steve says his co-working space is doing well. They've hosted 4,000 members from 70 countries so far. And there's less customer education required these days because co-working is catching on in a big way. Co-working generally around the world is growing massively. I did the math the other day and decided that there's a new co-working space opening around the world every four hours. Steve attributes Hubbard's success in large part, not to the beautiful weather or the organic food or the fast internet, but to the community he's built there. People who start in this mobile life, they tend to go out and you see a lot of Instagram photos of their laptop and their feet in the sand. And, and I think that that is fantastic. And after a while, uh, it gets lonely. We used to talk about three things, you know, facilities, events and community. And we would talk about it in that order. So when people would walk in, the first thing we'd basically say is, let me tell you about my internet connection, you know, and that would be a three minute talk about redundancies and backup power and, you know, facilities, 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 um, you know, probably within 12 months, those three got totally reversed. You have all of these people that are very mobile, but they want a sense of, of home and connection. Traveling halfway around the world to find a sense of community is a little counterintuitive, but for Tracy and Lydia, the like-minded people they found in Bali was just what they needed. 
when I first ran my first webinar, I had no idea how to use the tools to do that. But someone else did that and could share with me all the learning points of a webinar, walk me through it right there and then with me. So that gave me the courage to, to do that much quicker. There was a girl who is 22 years old who's starting an app and a website. About 25 people came in that room and wanted to give this person feedback on her business. It just reminded me of how unique it is that, first of all, we've set up our lives so that taking an hour out to give to somebody else is no big deal. And then second of all, just to be in a space where there's that many people who really want to help each other was very inspiring. Lydia Lee's business, Screw the Cubicle, helps others follow in her footsteps. But becoming a digital nomad is a huge change, one she suggests others take on cautiously. A lot of people I work with really get stuck in this mindset of never checking in with who they are and what they want to do first before going out there and doing this thing that I call business pornography, which is looking at other people's businesses and going, wow, that looks great or that branding looks great. I want to be that person. And that's when you miss out on the opportunity to really understand what do you want to create? You know, what do you want to put into your work that is really uniquely yours? This lifestyle may not be for everybody. And I always recommend that people almost kind of do a sabbatical or an experiment with it in short spurts just to really see uh, if this lifestyle does bring them the things that they want to experience in their lives. As for Steve, he's banking that this type of destination co-working space will gain popularity with entrepreneurs. We're looking with some partners now at expanding to a number of other destinations, essentially creating touch points in different places where this nomadic community wants to be and opening up amazing spaces to be more than just kind of tourist spots. Uh, Burma would be particularly interesting for me because it's kind of new and dynamic and there's lots of interesting things happening there. Sri Lanka is interesting, uh, Whistler in Canada, and um, Barcelona in Europe. But before he gets to those far-flung destinations, as he did with his original pop-up co-working space, Steve is testing the waters a little closer to what is now his home. We're looking at opening a second space in Bali within the next 12 months. And that's partly because we're here and partly because in terms of looking at expansion models and testing things and getting all our procedures in place and all remote management experience, etc., you know, that's a lot easier to do in the same time zone and an hour drive away, right, rather than, than opening the next location somewhere else. And then we're looking at five locations over the next three years. That's all for the risk takers escape to Bali. Thanks to Steve Monroe, Lydia Lee, and Tracy Abbott for sharing their stories. The Risk Takers is produced by J.P. Davidson and myself, Sarah Efron. Theme music by Prince Innocence. Thanks this week to Kirsty McKay for her recording and interviewing help. To discuss this episode on Twitter, use the hashtag The Risk Takers. This brings us to the end of our five-part podcast series, but you can still find all the episodes at tgam.ca slash The Risk Takers or wherever you download podcasts. For more small business stories, check out tgam.ca slash small business. Thanks for listening.